Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hey folks, it's nice to be visiting with you again. Since we last talked, I ran the Denver Rock and Roll Marathon, and I will give you a report on that at some point. It was pretty much as I strategized. I went out and held it in heart rate zone, zone two, and ran even splits, no muss, no fuss, like a long training run. I've been struggling to find time to write this last week or so. I'm sure that will resolve itself at some point. It was a long week. I flew in on Saturday morning. I met Coach at the Expo, and we went out for dinner and a couple of strong IPAs. Drinking beer the night before a race is another one of my race strategies that reinforces the fact that I'm not racing. Then I had to stay up for the Red Sox game, so I ended up going into the race with four hours of sleep or so. In the end, the race was a non-event. I mean, it was hard. It's always hard to run 26.2 miles, but it wasn't an outlier or anything epic. It was just a long training run. Now I'm tapering into Fort Myers, and it's time for me to put up or shut up. Of course, either way, I probably won't shut up, but I am going to race Fort Myers. I did meet the famous Joe Beers at the start of the Denver Marathon. Congrats on your new baby, Joe. Uh, which is funny because people always say, I'll meet you at the start. And I'll say, sure. But I know there's a snowball's chance in Phoenix of bumping into someone at the start of a 10,000 person race. I had never met Joe in person. I had spoken with Joe before. And for those who remember Run Run Live Edition 1.0, Joe used to be my go-to guy for the sketch comedy parodies we used to do in the show. And I think he, I remember him doing a credible Captain Kirk for me once. I'm, I'm walking to my corral and he pops out up in front of me and says, Chris? So there you go. I had a trade show up the street in the Denver Convention Center and it was a bit dicey setting up the, the trade show booth. It required some kneeling and squatting that I was a a bit creaky for, but it was probably better for me to stay active all day. It was a long day, having gotten up at the crack O'Don to run a marathon and then set up the booth and staff a reception, but nothing abnormal in my world. I like Denver. The people are nice and outdoorsy, the beer is good, the elevation and dryness mess me up, but I'm sure you get used to it. Today, we talk with one of our regular Joe friends, Mark Robert Sands, about his project to run 366 days in a row and how endurance sports transformed his life. I'll stick in an article I wrote for my work blog called Thinking Big on the Erie Canal, and I'll break down what a fartlek run is for you. The dead leaves are deep on the trails, the days are short, and the first hard frost has bitten my vegetables away. The cold winds blow, 
and the hearth fires are kindled as we hide under blankets and quilts that we have pulled from the depths of our closets. The dry tree limbs rattle like bags full of old bones. Pumpkins squat happily on the stoop, and the full moon rises clear and crisp in the hollowing night. The wild turkeys waddle through my yard in satisfied gaggles. The coyotes are sleek and well-fed in their new winter furs that would make a Manhattan socialite jealous. The cold moon rises, and you see your breath like a ghost on the wind. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Thinking big on the Erie Canal, have we lost our ability to swing for the fence? With the news this week, filled once again with the U.S. government partisan bickering, gaming, gerrymandering, and small thinking, I'm wondering if we've lost our ability to think big. Are we still willing to do big things? Are we willing to do things that will change the world? Are we willing to do things that will stand the test of time? Are we willing to do these things in direct opposition to the naysayers and haters that stand ready and armed with all the reasons we shouldn't? A defining characteristic of the human race is the penchant for imagining a bigger, brighter future in the face of all evidence to the contrary. Our first ancestors who stepped out of Africa were thinking big. They were stepping out of the known into the unknowable. This current culture of negative thinking and retrenchment, small thinking, struck me as I visited one of my kids at their college for homecoming. What message are we sending? What legacy are we leaving? I want my kids to approach the world with an attitude of abundance, not scarcity. I want them to be unafraid to think big. I want them to loathe the small thinkers. Early Saturday morning, I rose in a strange hotel room near the university to go for my w morning run, as is my habit. My wife and I had brought the dog with us, and I roused him to go with me. I didn't know where I was, and figured we'd just point our toes in one direction for 30 minutes and then turn around and come back. In the early morning mist, before the sun had made its appearance in western New York, we started to jog down the road away from the hotel, my dog and I. In less than a half a kilometer, we came to a bridge, and there was a footpath entering from the side. And I turned to read the sign and was astonished to find that I was on the Erie Canal. I turned with my dog in tow, down onto the old tow path, and began a wonderful perambulation of that famous artifact of an earlier time when people, at least some people, thought big. There was a time when these people thought big. They played a big game. The Erie Canal was dug between 1817 and 1825. When finished, it spanned 363 miles from New York City on the Atlantic Ocean to Buffalo, New York on the Great Lakes. It solved the problem of overland travel to the west without portage. It made Buffalo and New York City into thriving ports and big cities. It opened markets to the grain producers of the Ohio River Valley. These people took a positive leap of faith. They knew nothing about digging canals. They had no technology other than oxen 
There was no skilled labor, neither engineers nor craftsmen with any experience in this sort of thing. All they had was a big idea and the passion to start. Then they began digging and figured the rest out as they went. These men studied the precedents in Europe, canals in Britain, Holland, and Denmark. They imported labor, both skilled and not. Mostly, they learned as they went. They created the new technology that was needed to pull a forest full of stumps and to blast through escarpments. Over barriers and rivers, they built aqueducts that still stand today. Up the Niagara Escarpment, they built a series of locks that enabled a loss in elevation never before attempted on a canal. Their project was not without challenges. They had to sell the concept to a disbelieving government. They had to suffer the abuse of a yellow press that parodied the project as a money-wasting ditch. At one point, in an attempt to dig through a swampy section, a thousand laborers died from malaria. These leaders did not give up. They didn't stop. They waited until the swamp froze over, and then they kept building. The process of building created a skilled engineering and labor pool of stonemasons, surveyors, and engineers that enabled uncounted spin-off projects and growth of new big ideas. These leaders stuck with it and created an engineering marvel that built the city and state of New York. With oxen and shovels and carts, they built this commercial waterway between the Appalachians and the Adirondacks. They had a vision and they executed it with a passion. As I ran with my dog on the abandoned towpath, all alone in the quiet dawn, I ran by now derelict bridges and aqueducts. The big idea that was the Erie Canal flourished briefly and was displaced by the next big idea, the steam engine and the cross-country railroad. Do we have what those businessmen and entrepreneurs had? Are we capable of thinking big, or are we cursed with leaders so pedestrian and small that we can't even agree on the little things? The canals were displaced by the steam engine and the locomotive train. The trains were replaced by highways and trucks. But along the way somewhere, I hope, for my kids' sake, the willpower to do big things was not replaced by something small. I can do anything. I can be anything. I am not afraid. And now for today's featured interview. Sandman. That's it. You already know what my questions are. I don't have to ask them, right? So the first question is, uh, who are you and uh, what do you do? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty easy. My name is Mark. I am just your average everyday runner. I've run distances from, you know, your your typical 5K all the way up to your marathon. Uh, at the tail end of last year, I kind of wanted to try something new. I made a little challenge for myself that I was going to try and run 366 days in a row, at least a mile a day. And uh, I did that and, and also at the same time started my own running blog. And a video podcast. And, and a, yep, and an accompanying video podcast. Yeah, I find a lot of people who do these these run streak things, these you know three sixty five or three sixty six or whatever it is, they seem they they need some sort of vehicle to check off the days. Yeah, you know they need they need a way to say okay, there's another day done. Absolutely. And it 
tends to turn into uh, you know some sort of blog of some sort where it just they can uh, they can keep themselves honest and and get the sort of the juice of being able to check off that day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely helped. It's it's been a it's been a journey with the blog and you know with the the whole 366 project and everything else too. And it uh, it does keep me honest. You know, I, I know that if there's people reading the blog or watching the video podcast, you know, I have to get out there and, and at least do that mile. Yeah, and I, I know um, other folks who take a picture every day, right? So you get sure. this sort of collage of the of the 365 or or whatever it is. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's an interesting way. You know, I've been uh, I've been going back through and and consolidating a lot of the articles I've written, and it's fun to go back a couple of years and read something. Yeah, and, you know, and sometimes it's cringeworthy because <laughs> <laughs> you go, oh, I can't believe I said something like that. But it's actually kind of fun to see the fact that you've documented your day in the life. You know, yeah, I think that's fun. Yeah, it, it, it's been really enjoyable. You know, there, there's been some real serious stuff that that's happened this year. You know, a little bit of health problems and stuff, and you know, other things going on with life and my running. And it, it's a nice way to look back and get some perspective on everything that has happened. Do you find that it provides sort of an anchor or a keel in your life? You know, with other things may be chaotic, but you've got you've always got this thing to do. Yeah, you know, it, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of those those staples. Um, the last month or so, I've been at some training for my job, and I haven't been able to do much with the blog or the video podcast. And you know, after all that training was over, I mean, it was great training and everything. But it was kind of like at a point where, man, I really miss this. I miss writing. I miss doing the the videos. It's kind of come, you know, become just something that I do every day, you know, or every week, and right. just helps me focus and, you know, get get a little bit of enjoyment out of running in a way that I never thought I would in the first place. Right. Different people have different rules. Some guys say, well, it's got to be two miles. Some guys say, or women or guys, doesn't matter, say it's got to be a kilometer or it's got to be 10 minutes or, you know. Yeah. So your rule is the the most common one. It's <laughs> got to be a mile. Yeah. 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 Pretty so how do you, So how do, you, how do you measure that? You wear your uh, Garmin for that mile? Yep. Yep. I have a Garmin uh, 410. That baby's been getting a lot of use this year. You know, I just wear it for a mile or, or, or more. Typically, the runs are longer than a mile because um, I am training for the, the uh, Empire State Marathon, which is actually this Sunday. Yeah. It's usually longer than a mile, but, you know, at least a mile. But, yeah, I wear my Garmin. Has there been a time where you really struggled to get that mile in? Uh, you know, I I, I got to say it, it hasn't been too hard. Um, you know, like we talked earlier before the show, uh, I was already running six days a week anyways. So all I did really was just add, you know, one more day with at least a mile. So it, it, it hasn't been too difficult to fit it in. My family's kind of adjusted to the fact that, you know, I get out of work and, and I go run. That's, that's, that's what I do. But this year in August, I turned 40 and my wife threw me a surprise birthday party. And so I got out of work that day, come home to find all of my friends and family in my house. And, uh, she's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure you're going to be able to get your mile in. Well, you know, make a long story short, it was a great time, great party. You know, after everyone left, there I was at 
you know, 1130 at night running with a headlamp trying to get a mile in. And I, I managed to do it, <laughs> you know, but it was just, it, it was funny. That that was really one of the more challenging times. And, and this year, unfortunately, I've had a lot of different uh, health problems. I got peroneal tendonitis um, earlier in the year, which was just wicked. And, and now I'm dealing with a hamstring strain that uh, is not much fun. And then I got bronchitis. Um, so I, you know, I, I kept up running through all of that, but uh, I, I will say that not all of those miles were as enjoyable as they could have been, you know, because right. of the various injuries and everything. Right. So you started running about, what, 10 years ago? So probably about when you turned 30. Yeah. Yeah. Around then. I, I always uh, I always enjoyed running. I was a, a heavy kid growing up, not very athletic and one summer, I kind of went through a little growth spurt, lost a lot of weight, and uh, started, you know, weight training and stuff like that, started getting into running, just really took off from there, and then I met my wife, and one day I was talking to her, and I was like, you know, I would, I would love to run a 5K someday, and she's like, well, why don't you? And I think like most people who are really afraid of, of getting out there and, and doing a race, you know, I, I didn't want to... Fail. I didn't want to drop out of the race. I didn't want to come in last. I didn't want people to laugh at me and think that I was silly, which, you know, all, all those things, of course, never happened. And I went and ran a 5K and, and ran a 10K and, and then, you know, focused my sights on the marathon and, and uh, you know, kind of jumped into it then. Yeah, it's, it's funny. People will always be afraid to go to run a, fi- a local 5K because they think they're going to be last. Sure. And you know what? Most of the time, you're not going to be last. No. Um, and even if you are, the people who are last get the most attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you you got a whole crowd of people cheering you in. Yeah. Nobody cares if you're last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody else is too concerned about their own race. You know, and you, it, it, it's a weird thing. And, and you know this because you do marathons and other races, too. But when you're out there, I mean, yes, it's a race, but, you know, I, I'm not thinking about who I'm going to beat that day or, or who I'm going to pass or, or anything like that. I'm just out there at a good time and, and run the best race that I can run. Yeah, that's the beauty of our sport is you're competing against yourself yeah, most of the time. Absolutely. I mean, as a, as a mid-packer, you're competing against yourself. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they had, there's a special prize for coming in last. You actually get something. Yeah, yeah, sometimes In a lot there of these is. races, yeah. Yeah. So uh, get that to consider as well. You say, I may never win something. You can come in last and win something. That, 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 that's so true. You did a fairly typical transformation here, you know, around 30 years old. You say, well, I'm 20, 30 pounds overweight, not feeling so great about myself. Maybe I got to start doing some running. And uh, it sounds like you were fairly successful. And then you caught the bug. Yeah, I, I, I caught the bug really bad. <laughs> I wasn't like most, uh, you know, distance runners, I, I jumped right from, you know, a 10K distance all the way up to a marathon. I never never even tried the, the half marathon distance before I did that. You know, my first marathon was a pretty miserable experience. I, I made all the rookie mistakes. I, I didn't have uh, any fuel. I didn't have any hydration, you know, because it was all advertised on the course. And, and I underdressed for the weather. And I got done with it. And I just thought to myself, that wasn't really all that enjoyable. And, you know, everybody else looked like they were having a much better time than me. I I was kind of just determined to, you know, maybe try it again, but do things a little better. 
And, uh, you know, that, that's what it's been. You know, I've run 10 marathons and each one has been different. And I've learned a little bit from each, you know, so every time I do run one, it, it just gets better and better. Yeah, see, I know you're lying to me because your first thought when you cross the finish line of that first marathon, your first thought is, I am never going to do this again. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> at first, that, that is your, your very first thought, but that, that quickly fades. Yeah, that after a little bit, you go, you know, something I'm kind of, I could do better. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's always about trying to improve on your own. And, uh, you know, that, that first race just, oh, it was it was crazy. <laughs> yep. No, and all of us have had that same first marathon. So there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing outlandish there. Yeah. It's what you do with that experience, right? Exactly. That, that is the important thing. Exactly. So, so when you, uh, then you decided you were going to break four hours, uh, in the marathon, which was, you know, your, your logical goal. Yep. Uh, how'd you go about doing that? Well, I, you know, I kind of, at first when I tra- started training for marathons, I, I played around with, you know, your, your typical marathon training program you might find in like runner's world or running times and, and things like that. And, uh, then I kind of did a little research, got interested in the Hanson's Brooks project which, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, focuses more on high intensity, more back-to-back distance runs and things like that. And, um, yep. you know, that, that seemed to drastically improve my time, not bring it, you know, close to four hours yet, but, but definitely improve on uh, my original time. You know, then I started to do more cross-training with uh, light weights, and body weight and, you know, developing more like functional strength and core strength, you know, also looked at my diet, revamped my diet a little bit. Not that it was totally terrible, but, you know, I'm just as guilty as everybody. I, I love, you know, a lot of foods that are probably not the, the most healthy for you, like potato chips and, you know, things like that. And uh, I cut back on that. I cut back on uh, empty calories, you know, like in alcohol and things like that. And, uh, it really came together last year. I managed to drop 25 pounds, just did a lot of high intensity back to back training and, you know, it just seemed to click. Yeah. And the challenge with that Hanson's uh, training program, even scaled down to a mid packers level is it's a lot of volume and it's a lot of back to back volume. So they, I think if I remember correctly, they have like midweek long runs and then back to back hard efforts on the, on the weekends and they don't they don't necessarily take you up into very you know 26 or 30 miles but yeah. they they do back to backs with the theory that you get your legs tired and then you go run on them yeah. and it always seemed to me sort of a uh, a recipe for injury did you struggle with that at all yeah you know it through through all the time that i've been running i've had my my fair share of, you know running injuries i've had uh my t-band syndrome and uh different strains and things like that. And, and, and actually this year has, has been the worst by far. I've had a really bad case of peroneal tendonitis earlier in the year. I've got uh, a really bad hamstring strain right now that I'm trying to work through. And yeah, you know, with the, with the high intensity, you don't get much of a break. That can be a little, a little challenging to deal with, but you know, I, I, at least in my experience, I don't think you can't, really getting better at what you're doing unless you can run on, you know, dead legs, fatigued legs that seem to really work for me. Yep. 
And so did you do anything, did the, the cross-training, the weight training, did that help you with your, your mechanics and your form? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that was the other huge improvement. I started with the, the cross-training with the, you know, light weights and, and body weight and developing more core and functional strength. That helped combat a lot of the uh, excessive fatigue from the back-to-back runs, you know, any of the injuries and things like that. I, it definitely made me faster. It definitely made, right. it, it definitely made the, the whole race as a whole more enjoyable because I wasn't as fatigued. I wasn't as wiped out from the race itself or the, you know, the long distance runs. Did you find that it helped uh, later in the marathon when you get in those high miles? You know, what I found is it helps your mechanics from collapsing. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and before I started working on my core and, and all that functional strength, you know, just like everyone else, who's a, 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 you know, a typical marathoner around that, you know, 18, 19, 20 mile mark, everything kind of just goes to hell. You know, your, your, your mechanics, your, your form, everything hurts. And it, it just becomes a, a battle to get to the finish line. But then after I did all the, you know, did all the cross training and everything else, I just found myself actually enjoying the later stages of the race, you know, cause I, I wasn't so, so wiped out. I wasn't so tight and uh, I was still felt like it was a little bit smooth. Right. Yeah. It just gives you more, more tools in your uh, toolbox yeah. when you're getting into the hard parts of the race. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the marathon's one of those funny distances and you know this, you know, it, it does, the race really isn't until like the last six miles. Right. You know, that's right. It's a, it's a, it's a 20 mile run yeah. and then a six mile race. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. And no matter how good a shape you're in and no matter how slow you go, it still hurts at the end. Yeah, so that's that's what that's why I like about it. What did you learn with the the injuries that you went through and the high intensity training? I mean, so you're a, a four hour man- marathon, right? Right in the center, dead center in the mid pack. Dead center, yeah. So what uh, what did you learn from all this? I mean, can an average person, you know, scale up the the miles and the and do some some smart cross training, some smart nutrition, not make radical changes, but still get to your goals? Yeah, I mean, I. You know, that, that was one of the other reasons I started the 366 Project, you know, and that was just to show that anybody can be a runner. You know, if you look at it individually, a mile a day is not that much. Anybody could go out and take 10 or 15 minutes or, you know, 20 minutes and, and run a mile. And at the end of the year, you'd have, you know, 366 miles under your belt. Exactly. Um, so anybody can, can improve on their marathon time. And if there's one thing that I've learned over the years, it's to focus on quality, not quantity. If you can do anything to make you stronger core-wise, give you better functional strength, to just improve your overall endurance, I, I think that would help you greatly in this distance, you know, and any distance race. You know, I see a lot of people who they go out and they run mega mileage, like, you know, 50 to 100 miles a week. And number one, I don't have time to do that. You know, I I have a full-time job. I have a family. You know, I have things to do other than running. And that just isn't going to work for me. So I had to try and find ways where I could, you know, make the runs, make the time that I do have count more because I just can't go out there and do, you know, that mega mileage. You know, I, I found that if I can supplement some of the miles with a little bit of cross training, you know, that helps too. 
you know, running is a very, I mean, you know, this, it's a very repetitive motion. You know, I always tell people who don't run marathons, imagine trying to hold your arms at a 45 degree angle for four hours straight. You know, that, that, that takes strength. Anything you can do to just improve your core, it, it's going to make you feel a lot better. It's going to make it way more enjoyable. It's going to make you faster. So, you know, just really focus more on core strength, functional strength, and, and making your runs more quality, not just jump my lunch. When you go through these campaigns, these training campaigns, if you if you dial in too much mileage and too much intensity, it just starts feeling like work. Yeah. Which is fine if you're an Olympian. Yes. But if you're just a regular person with a family and stuff to do, um, it just starts feeling like work. And you know, once once it starts feeling like work, then you're almost guaranteed to get sick or get injured because your body revolts when your mind revolts. Got to be able to find that balance. Yep. Running is is very important in my life you know it's it's something that i use to to deal with stress from from every aspect of my life last year it was just kind of at a point where man this is this just feels like work it's not fun anymore you know and, and that was another one of the reasons i started the project was to just get out there and to remember what it was like to just run for fun you know and, and, yep. and take away that that huge focus on time and it has done that, you know, there, there've been times that I've been out there on the roads. I'm just looking around and, and, you know, like last, um, last winter, we had a, a, you know, decent amount of snow for upstate New York. And I remember running on some of the trails and just thinking to myself, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, it, it, I'm out there. I'm the only person on the trail. It, it was just incredible, you know, and, and you're a big trail runner. You know that too. It, especially in the part of the country that we live in, the seasons. I mean, fall is a great time of year to run, winter, and I've never done that. And, you know, I've been running for, for 10 or more years. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. So, you know, that, that that's helped too. Yeah, I know what one of my favorite runs is, you go out in like a January or a February night, where it's you know in the single digits, yep. and the air is so dry and crisp, and, you, and the snow... If you have any kind of moon, the it, it the moon lights up because it reflects off the snow. The trails and everything is just like a you know a, it's very bright. It's in high relief and you can see everything and, and there's there's no sound. Yeah. All you can hear is your breathing and the crunching of your shoes. Yeah. It's just it's so uh, it's so cool. Yeah. It's I love that. Great experience. Great experience. Yep. So I'm with you on that. Getting back to the 366 project, you're 288 days in. Yep. Do you think you're just going to keep going at the end? Well, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me that I should. And, you know, it changes from day to day. You know, there, there's days that I feel like, wow, it would be great to keep this going. Um, and then there's days that, I, you know, I ask myself, is the reason that I've gotten injured so much this year because I'm out there all the time? I don't know. I don't know. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that I probably won't know until, uh, you know, New Year's Day next year. I wish I could tell you. I, I think the, you know, the blog and the video podcast, I'm going to definitely continue that, whether or not it's the 366 project or not. But uh, as far as running every day, I don't know. I don't know. It's been a real journey. What would you tell folks, uh, you know, in terms of advice for, if they were considering doing something like this? 
like, I like th- a 366 project. Sure. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is you have to be able to listen to your body. You can't run every day and expect to do your best. You know, not every race is going to be good. Not every training run is going to be good. If there's one thing that this whole thing has taught me, it's that I got to listen to my body. You know, sometimes, especially when you have a goal like breaking four hours in a marathon or, or whatever your race distance, you know, a, a certain time goal or, or distance goal. I know me personally, I can get very locked into, okay, today's Tuesday and today is cross training day with, you know, three miles and that's all I can do. And I have to do that and nothing else is going to work. This whole project has kind of taught me to be a little flexible. You know, if I'm really sore that day, well, maybe I can, you know, run a mile instead of the three miles or, you know, cut out the cross training and only do four miles. Um, you know, don't be so regimented. Don't throw yourself into your training plan, you know, allow for a little bit of flexibility. You know, ultimately, Chris, I, I want to run until, you know, I, I can't anymore, until I'm, until I'm not around anymore. So I don't see any point in throwing myself at it day after day after day and just destroying myself if it's not enjoyable, number one, and if it's something that's going to hurt me so bad that I won't be able to do it for the rest of my life. So I'm trying to look at everything with a, a longer picture. You know, my best advice, just go slow, listen to, <clears throat> excuse me, listen to your body, don't overdo it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it might be a good way, a good vehicle to get newer runners involved. You know, and so they're, the way you're doing it is you're laying a mile a day on top of your existing marathon training. Yeah. And that's probably pushing you over the edge. Yeah. But if it was a, a new runner or a uh, someone who ran a lot less, they could just do the mile a day with their 15 miles a week that they're already running, and it wouldn't hurt so much. It would be a great way, great vehicle to, to get engaged. Sure. And a great, great vehicle to talk about running. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, when you think about it, just a mile a day, it's, it's not that much. It's not that much. You know, everybody has 10 or 15 minutes that they can throw at it and, and, and do it. And by the end of the year, you'd have a really great accomplishment. There you go. All right. I'm going to let you go. All right, brother. You give me, give me the links. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just give you the, the running blog. The uh, video podcast is, is kind of locked in there in my YouTube channel and everything, but it's run366project. Blogspot.com. All right, man. Have a great night. All right. You too, Chris. Pleasure talking to you. All right. Ciao. See ya. Hitch up your tights because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Fartlek. What is behind the silly name? If you've been a runner for any amount of time, you'll inevitably hear your running friends sniggering about fartlek runs. What are they, and how do you use them in your training? Fartlek is a Swedish term that means speed play. The Swedish coach came up with these workouts in the 1940s to help his team compete against the Finns. Come on, who doesn't remember the great Pavo Nurmi, the flying Finn? I think he's on the Finnish currency now. Like all other buzzwords of running, fartlek means different things to different people. I'll break it down for you so that you can choose for yourself whether this is something you want to play with in your training or not. 
The original Swede coach came up with these workouts to get his distance runners to mix in some speed work with their long runs. And that is basically all that fartlek workouts are, working in some speed work into your longer runs. Most of us realize that you can't just run more miles to get faster. You have to do some speed work. The fartlek workout incorporates a mix of both so that you can recruit more muscle fiber types. There are some real advantages to throwing in some surges in your mid to long workouts. Not only does it recruit different muscle types, it accustoms your system to changing paces mid-run and recovering from a hard effort mid-run. These are all things that happen in actual races. Come on! Who hasn't gotten carried away chasing someone down in the middle of a race or dropping in a surge to shake some persistent hanger-on? Fartlek workouts let you practice that. Like everything else, there are different takes on the fartlek workout. In its basic purest form, you simply try to throw in some surges during your run when you feel like it. For example, let's say you're out for a one-hour fartlek run. First, you'd warm up for 10 minutes or so. Then you would drop in 5 to 10 surges sprinkled through the middle 40 minutes. Then you would warm down. How long a surge? Well, that's really up to you. The standard length of a surge during a basic fartlek run is one to two minutes. So for me, that would be like a four to 600 meter surge. How fast? In your basic fartlek, it's really how fast you feel like running. But it works out to around a 5K effort or pace. If your surges are longer, you might want to go a little bit easier. The mystical nature of the traditional fartlek is that you aren't supposed to have a set interval for these surges. You just do them when you feel like it. It's supposed to be play. Same with the effort. You run as fast and as far as you feel like. Of course, you know me. I'm way too tightly wrapped for this kind of airy-fairy instruction set. Seriously, what does when you feel like it mean? I feel like sitting on the couch drinking beer, eating butter-soaked popcorn and watching Sports Center, but that's not going to get me anywhere in my training. What I do <laughs> is drop in a 90-second interval every five minutes. One-and-a-half-minute surge, three-and-a-half-minute recovery. Otherwise, I just it's not organized enough for my brain. I wouldn't be able to sleep. Another great way to gamify the fartlek is to pick out landmarks. So you're looking down the road, and you see something a quarter of a mile away, like a telephone pole, and you run to it. You get the picture. And actually, a great fartlet workout for beginners or kids is if you run along a road with utility poles, is to run fast between every other pole. And I say beginners because these poles are only about 125 feet apart in the U.S., and you would need about seven of them to get a quarter-mile surge in. But it's a great starting point for someone to throw in some speed work. I used to use this as a workout with the kids when I coached youth soccer. I'd tell them to go do uh, telephone poles. Some coaches will use the basic fartlek framework more as a interval workout. They will have fartleks that look a lot like the step-up runs that I described recently with surges as long as seven to eight minutes. They will have ladders of surges, starting the run with long surges and stepping down into shorter, faster surges as the run progresses, or the same thing in reverse. And that hardly sounds like play to me, 
These types of fartleks are more like traditional hardcore prescriptive tempo training. Why do you care? When do you use a fartlek? Well, first, fartlek runs for beginners or for those of you easing into speed work for a training campaign for the first time. It's a lightweight, less scary way to ease into tempo and speed training. After you do a couple of weeks of these, your legs won't be so shocked when you attempt some more structured tempo training. Second, during the meat of your training, you can mix in some fartlek training as one of your weekly tempo training runs. These might have some longer, more sustained surges and be a bit more prescriptive. Third, you can use these as a way to keep your legs from getting bored during a long run. Sometimes when you get tired during a long run, it's not because your legs are tired. They're bored with the same pace for hours on end. Throw in a 90-second surge every once in a while. It'll wake them up. Fourth, during the rest weeks or down weeks in your training cycles, you use fartleks as a way to keep the legs awake, but not overstress them. Again, this is basically a light tempo workout. And finally, in the last few weeks leading into your goal race, you use fartlek. This is a period where the hay is in the barn and you don't need to build anymore, but it's a bad idea to do absolutely no tempo. Instead of a hard tempo training, you throw in some easier fart-like workouts to keep the race edge sharp and remind your legs what it feels like to go faster. And that's it, my friends. Like all simple things, the fart-like workout can be overcomplicated, but at its core, it is still just speed play during a longer run. So go out and get your play on today. You don't need a 400-meter oval to run speed. You can mix it into any old run, whenever you feel like it, and that is a fartlek. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. That's episode 3-275 in the bucket with the rest of the forgotten detrius of youth. Can you believe it's been 25 episodes since we changed the format to 3.0? <laughs> By the way, every once in a while, I'll get one of you suggesting to me that I should go interview someone, someone famous, like Hal Higdon or Jeff Galloway or Dean Carnazes. And then I have to tell them that I already did interview all those guys and Jack Foltz and Josh Cox and many others. All of those shows are posted on my site, runrunlib.com. Just go look at the tab called Index, and it will list all the shows by title. You can search that page. Only the last 25 or so shows will be on iTunes because of a technical limitation of FeedBurner. But you can go to the post on my site and right-click Save As to download the audio file to your computer. Then you can listen to it at your leisure by importing it into your favorite MP3 player. Like iTunes, for instance. No catch. There's 275 shows out there for free. Some good, some bad, some interesting, some banal to the point of cringeworthiness. But we love our children, no matter their faults. Right? I read a book last week called Strength Finder 2.0, 
and took the online evaluation that came with it. This is a methodology that profiles you and tells you what your strengths are. Turns out I'm a strategic thinker who sees patterns in things, loves new ideas, likes input, tends to communicate and express my ideas. Go figure. I always wondered why I could see what was going to happen next and other people couldn't. I always annoy my wife by walking by when she's watching some cop drama or a lawyer show, and I'll watch a few seconds of it and tell her who's guilty and how it's going to end. <laughs> While I'm on the subject, what's with the Lifetime channel? <laughs> this is a cable TV channel we have here in the States that is targeted at women, ostensibly. And all it shows is women getting abused by psycho husbands and just a wide variety of awful things happening to women. I'm sorry, ladies, but how is that empowering? I guess I don't get it because it's that empathy thing that is not one of my strengths. I'm in my taper now for Fort Myers, and that's on November 10th. I've looked at my calendar and decided to race it. I've consulted with Coach and have a good taper plan. I took a deep breath and refocused. I'm going to keep my nutrition clean and lay off the beer and chips until after the race. I'm going to get sleep where I can. I've already dialed it in and lost, uh, got myself down from, I was, I, after Denver, all the beer I was drinking out there, I was creeping up over 188 pounds and I'm back down under 181 as we speak and I'll be under 180 going into the race. It hit me when I walk into that race. I'll be the same athlete that walked into all those other qualifying races. I have it in me, and I need to get out of my own way and put myself in a position to succeed. I'm going to dial it in and execute it with the ferocity that I'm capable of. Enough pussyfooting around. Sure, I'm overtraining <laughs> and over racing, but that doesn't change who I am and what I bring. I bought some new trail shoes, these Brooks, I think they're called Pure Flows. The Cascadia that I had were just too stiff and heavy for me and were tweaking my ankles and knees, especially with the thick leaf cover on the trails right now. The Pure Flow are lighter and more flexible, but still have an aggressive outsole for traction. And I'll, I'll try them out sometime this week. I'll let you know. I've been walking around in them, but I haven't run yet. I've got three authors lined up for interviews for the show. Two of them, I'm pretty sure, are insane. This one dude is the trainer to the stars from Hollywood, and I'm really sure that I would hide from him in real life, but it should be an entertaining conversation. The other guy is an ultra runner from deep dark Texas with, as far as I can tell, a serious drinking problem. So they're my kind of guys. I guess the Run Run Live 4.0 format is going to be Geraldo epic in nature. What do you think? Thanks for all the great emails. You know who you are, and it's on my list to respond to you. <laughs> I'll leave you with a story from my travels this morning. I was in Logan Airport for a flight out, not too early, mid-morning, somewhere between coffee and salad, and I was expecting all the people to be excited. We won the World Series in Fenway Park the night before, but even though... There was a fair preponderance of Red Sox logo wear being sported. Everyone just looked awful and sleep-deprived and mean and grumpy. Nobody was smiling. 
Bostonians, as a rule, are a grumpy lot. They tend to expect the worst and are usually happiest when they have something to complain about when they're miserable. You can see it in Game 6. We were up by five runs in the ninth inning, and the fans were still stressed out and waiting for the other shoe to drop, like it always has in the past. These are genetically selected immigrants who got starved out of their old countries and didn't have the imagination or optimism or energy to keep going west. They got off the boat and stuck, hunkered down, and expected the worst. I must be a mutation. Like Wolverine. Happy Halloween. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there. And it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff. And let me know if I can help. Ciao. I know. Oh, yeah.